Listener discretion is advised. True crime can be strangely fascinating. This true crime is odd, macabre, and haunted. I'm Diane, your guide into the shadows. Welcome to Phantasmal Crime. Georgetown is a picturesque small town in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. My family visited often when I was a kid because my dad enjoyed fishing in Georgetown Lake. He never failed to reel in a few rainbow trout. Unbeknownst to us, Georgetown was the scene of a murder over oysters and the lynching of the perpetrator back in the mid-1800s. That murderer was Edward Bainbridge, and his spirit is believed to still haunt Georgetown. Reconstruction America was a very difficult time for black people. Formerly enslaved people were trying to find their place in this new society, and much of what they found was discrimination, even in the North. And it didn't matter if you were multi-ethnic. Some of these individuals looked to the West to start a new life. And this is where Edward Bainbridge set his sights. He was from a mixed-race background, and his first stop West was St. Louis. He immediately ran into trouble here, losing all of his traveling money to gambling and women. One positive experience he had in St. Louis was getting his first taste of Atlantic oysters, and he loved them. In the mid-1800s, America was in the middle of a great oyster craze. Americans ate oysters any way they could get them. Fried, broiled, pickled, stewed, in soup, stuffed in turkey, made into pie, and formed into patties. Oysters have been popular long before this, of course, in places local to oyster beds like Chesapeake Bay. Native Americans left behind shell mounds for hundreds of years, and colonists harvested large quantities. But oysters didn't travel far from the coast, because oysters don't preserve long out of their shells. However, by the 1840s, oyster canning was a booming business, and ice technology and railroads made it possible to ship oysters across the country. St. Louis was one of the bigger cities that oysters were shipped to, and now Edward Bainbridge was hooked, and that would lead to his downfall. Somehow Bainbridge managed to make his way to Denver, and he was looking for gold. Gold that he wouldn't find, and he was soon penniless on the street. He eventually found himself a card game and won a man's horse and pocket watch. Bainbridge cashed in on his good fortune and headed for the Colorado Mountain Mines, stopping near Spanish Bar where he began a career in claim jumping. During the California gold rush, the United States government handled claims that people made on mines where they discovered precious metals. These mining claims gave certain individuals the rights to extract minerals from a tract of public land. This was also the Wild West, and laws were fluid. Miners tended to make up their own laws, and in small mountain towns, claim jumping became a common practice. An owner of a mine would have to protect his own claim from others who would basically squat on their tract. A claim jumper was someone who attempted to seize the land another had already claimed. Bainbridge found this to be a lucrative practice, albeit a dangerous one. He was run out of Spanish Bar by four brothers after he tried to claim jump on them. His next stop was Blackhawk. Bainbridge started spending most of his time drinking, gambling, and visiting brothels. He gained a reputation for being boisterous, and he liked to fight. 
There were very few saloons that he hadn't been tossed out of, and a few ladies of the evening had also found themselves pulling on Bainbridge's hair and beard when he would run out of the brothel without paying for services. News started spreading that silver had been discovered in the Upper Clear Creek area in the spring of 1865, and Bainbridge decided to make yet another fresh start in a camp named Georgetown. Brothers David and George Griffith had discovered gold near the head of Clear Creek in 1859, and they named the location Georgetown in honor of George. The brothers had also found silver, but at the time miners were ignoring silver. This would change, and Georgetown would become one of Colorado's richest mining areas. The first silver rush occurred in 1865, and Georgetown not only had vast quantities of silver, but its location at a lower elevation made it more suitable for settlement, so it became a supply center as well. Bainbridge partnered with several men to work a silver vein on Griffith Mountain. This wasn't a very prosperous vein, and soon the claim dried up. Bainbridge's partners left, but he stayed, and made trouble in town gambling and cavorting once again. April of 1867 would change Bainbridge's trajectory in life. His rabble-rousing would come to an end. His foul temper had seen him thrown out of several saloons in recent days, and on one particular day, April 23rd, he drew his pistol on a Mr. Osborne of Georgetown and threatened to blow the man's head off. Several men jumped up and got Bainbridge under control. Later that afternoon, Bainbridge threatened another man named James Martin, who just simply laughed at the threat. The next day, it seemed things were okay between the men as they sat and played cards with each other in John Nichols' saloon on the corner of 4th and Rose Streets. The game wasn't going well for Bainbridge, and he was getting agitated. Before the next hand was dealt, Bainbridge said he wanted to play for a can of oysters. These were worth a lot of money in landlocked Colorado, especially in a mountain mining camp. Bainbridge also added that if he lost, he would shoot Martin. So basically he's telling Martin to give up the oysters or he's going to get shot. Well, as I'm sure you can guess, Bainbridge didn't win that next hand and he followed through with his threat, pulling his pistol and shooting James Martin in the face. The bullet went through his nostril and lodged in his brain. Martin fell to the floor and the saloon fell silent. A doctor rushed to care for Martin while Bainbridge was hauled away to a second floor room of a nearby house. The citizens of Georgetown were incensed. A black man had just killed a white man for no reason, and they were going to have justice. Lynching was a very real thing in the country at this time, and in small towns, citizen justice was the rule. About 10 o'clock that evening, a large mob of men had gathered outside the house where Bainbridge was being held. Several men entered, overpowered the couple of guards, and tossed Bainbridge out the window, and the rest of the mob bound him with rope. Bainbridge screamed that he was supposed to have a trial first and the mob assured him that this was his trial. So Bainbridge yelled, You can't hang me. Should you dare, I'll haunt you the rest of your bloody lives. By thunder, you can't hang me. The crowd didn't listen and put a noose around his neck and dragged him to a large pine tree. Bainbridge threatened to haunt them again, 
and then he was hoisted up with his feet kicking like mad and hanged there until he strangled to death. The Rocky Mountain News reported on April 25th, 1867, and may I just point out in a bit of synchronicity that this episode dropped on April 25th, 2023. We learned from Mr. J.P. Waterman, who has just arrived from Georgetown, that a man named Ed Bainbridge shot another by the name of Martin yesterday evening. A dispute arose over a game of cards when Bainbridge drew his pistol and deliberately shot Martin through the head, the ball penetrating his forehead. Martin died instantly. It was reported in Central that the murderer would be lynched, and our informant thinks he has been strung up for this. A woman named Ella Stout was tending to business for William Byers in Georgetown, and she wrote the following dispatch about witnessing what happened to Edward Bainbridge. I've been up tending to William's business interests and was disrupted by a most disagreeable sight. Thank God John did not witness it. He was in bed, tended to by his governess. From the version I have heard, the dispute was over a card game, as many of these things go. A half-Negro named Edward Bainbridge shot and wounded a white man with no provocation whatsoever. Bainbridge was arrested and placed in prison to await his legally appointed fate. Uncontent to let the law impose its just order, a mob dragged the poor man out a second-story window and pitched him headlong not caring whether he hit the ground. He was beaten about the head, then with no objection from the so-called officer of the law here, was hung from a tree until dead. This shameful display was witnessed by myself, having rooms near the prisons, and hearing the agitation of the rabble of the outside. I went to my window and saw the whole affair. I cannot speak as to the character of the deceased, but in Denver, we have long since dispensed with the need for these terrible occurrences. Bainbridge was left in the tree until morning, and then cut down and buried in the cemetery. Someone later robbed the grave, and legend claims that a Central City doctor ended up with the skeleton and had it on display in his office for years. Now, here's the thing. James Martin didn't die so the newspapers reporting that he had died were totally wrong. He was disfigured for the rest of his life, but the doctor managed to save him. So Bainbridge was hanged for a murder that didn't happen. Edward Bainbridge was not done with this world. His spirit was apparently at unrest. The Rocky Mountain News featured the headline, Georgetown Has a Haunted House, on December 26, 1868. The article stated, The ghost of Bainbridge, who was hung by a vigilance committee, has returned to earth to vex and worry the people who lived in a house hard by the fatal tree. It opens doors that are locked and slams them in a way supposed to be natural to a housebreaker. One citizen of keen perception has seen him with the rope still around his neck. The family has moved away. The miner tells all about it. The miner they're referring to is not a person. It's actually the newspaper in town. The miner printed the full tale, identifying the ghost as Edward Bainbridge, saying he was, quote, doomed for a certain term to walk the night and for the day confined to fast and fire till the foul crimes done in his days of nature are burnt and purged away. The miner went on to conclude, Georgetown is now ahead of any town in the territory in the ghost and haunted house line. I love that this seemed to almost be a competition back then. Who's got the most haunted town? Denver and Central must look to their laurels. Denver and Central had a multitude of ghosts, of which the miner's editor must have been unaware. Nevertheless, his ghost story encouraged the spectators to wait at the house for the translucent Bainbridge. Numerous persons witnessed the door banging and other phenomenon at the house for the next several months. Lots of people were terrified by this, and some were just amused. There were skeptics who said this is only happening because of the wind, even when there was an absence of wind. Most of the time, the disturbances were confined to the house, but on occasion, the energy present loitered about the towering pine, shaking the tree in a frenzy. Believers were certain the ghost caused the tree to shake. 
Non-believers were just as certain that blasting in the mines was the reason it shook. Although Edward Bainbridge's visits became more infrequent and declined starting in 1869, he continued to make his presence known. There were schoolboys who would dare each other to wait for the ghost at dusk in the now-abandoned house. Often the boys fled in terror after only a few minutes in the shadowy rooms. Then by 1871, with only two previous disturbances in 1870, the door banging ceased altogether. Bainbridge eventually faded from memory and the frame house was torn down. On April 24, 1887, exactly 20 years since the day Bainbridge was hanged, a girl was near the point of rocks looking for her kitten, and this is near where Bainbridge had been buried. She saw a bearded man sitting on the ground. Gracie Mills, 14, approached the man intending to ask him if he had seen her pet. As she went a few yards closer to him, she could see that he was a bit translucent. She could see rocks and weeds through him. And then she noticed a knotted rope around his neck. She shuddered. The apparition turned and looked at her and made a simple request. In a fright, Gracie turned on her heel and ran home. She told her parents of the strange man, described the rope, his beard, and his voice. And she said, I am not making up this story. I really saw him. Her parents knew that Gracie had never heard of Edward Bainbridge. So they started to believe that she really had seen something. They believed her, especially when Gracie explained what the phantom had requested of her. He had asked for a can of oysters. Now, although they said that the sightings went down, and of course this house has been torn down, that doesn't necessarily mean that a spirit just goes away. Several businesses have been located at 511 Rose Street. This is where John Nichols' saloon had once been. It eventually became the Full Circle Cafe, Cafe Prague, and an Italian restaurant called Troyes. And I'm not sure what it is today, if it's still that Italian restaurant or if it's something else. This location was featured on Unexplained Mysteries. Patrons and staff shared experiences of lights turning on and off by themselves and the plumbing and water heater refusing to work. Repairmen would never find any issues and everything would work fine for them and then later stop working again. Some people claimed to be pushed by someone they couldn't see. Psychic Peter James investigated and identified an entity that claimed to be Edward Bainbridge haunting that establishment. So it would seem that Bainbridge may still be around. Georgetown would be the scene of another lynching in 1877. This time an Austrian named Robert Schramley was lynched. He had murdered his boss, the Georgetown butcher named Henry Thede, for $80 that he was carrying. When the citizens of Georgetown heard that he was also wanted for a rape in Missouri, they decided to take justice into their own hands. A group of vigilantes busted him out and hanged him from the frame of a dilapidated building a few hundred feet away, and Shamley was left there for the rest of the day with a note attached. The note read, Vigilantes around, no more murders. Behold the fate of this man, the same terrible end awaits all murderers. Life and the public security is too sacred not to keep protected, even by resort of the unpleasant means of lynch law. Take warning, take warning. Else she murders, the fate this brute Shramley has met awaits you. According to the book Ghost Stories of Colorado, written by Dan Ashfar, there have been, quote, countless sightings of an emaciated Shramley reported around town, appearing one moment and gone the next. So it appears we have a couple of spirits still bopping around Georgetown who met their end from lynching. Is Georgetown haunted by these two criminals who were lynched? That is for you to decide. Thanks so much for listening to History Ghost Bumps Phantasmal Crime. If you'd like to share with us a haunted crime that you've heard about, 
please write us at historyghostbump at gmail.com. I've been your host, Diane. Join me on the next episode for another trip through the shadows. This has been a production of History Ghost Bump Podcast.